Hello, Duke fans. Episode 384 coming at you. The Duke Basketball Report podcast is here. I am Jason Evans. Thank you for joining us. I am joined by my partner in crime, Sam Klein. Sam, how are you doing today? I am all right. If you have been following the weather news today, I know I feel like we always start with the weather, but I just have to share. We do a lot of weather. (laughs) We're having uh, we're having bomb cyclone up here in Boston. So the it's basically a hurricane, uh, but in blizzard form. So the wind has been blowing sideways today. It's like 40 mile an hour wind gusts and and snow. So uh, it's been pretty nuts. How much snow are they for? I heard that it's not being measured in inches, but feet. Yeah, I think we've got two. I was outside to take the dog out about two hours ago. We're recording at about 830 Eastern time on Saturday evening. I took the dog out about two hours ago, and I think there were like two feet on the ground. We weren't going very far. <laughs> does your, I, I got to ask, does the dog hate the snow or love it? No, he's a, he's pretty big. He's like a 90 pound black lab mix. And uh, so in this amount of snow, he's still excited, but he just can't go that fast. Normally, he's extremely fast. But in this weather, he's more hopping than running. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's he's pretty psyched by it. I love it. I love it. And unfortunately, again, we are not with Donald Wine, but Donald has sent us a piece of audio. He is going to explain why we are unfortunately, again, missing Donald Wine from the podcast. Donald, take it away. Hey, Jason. Hey, Sam. And everybody on the DBR podcast who is listening, uh, this is Donald here. I am reporting to you live from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And my apologies for not being on the show or the last one. I have been traveling for the World Cup qualifiers for the U.S. men's national team. As you all know, that is something that I do regularly. So I have been following that. But I do want to tell you a quick story about my travel so far. We first started out in Columbus, Ohio. We went to the game against El Salvador on Thursday night. I was supposed to fly to Toronto on Friday morning, but problem happened. My flight got canceled. And any of you who have traveled know that certain places you have to have COVID tests to enter the country. Well, Toronto and in Canada have this, but they have expiration times. So you have to have it 72 hours before your flight. So I had a negative COVID test, thankfully, that expired at 8.55 the next morning when I was supposed to be on my plane into Toronto. So what did I do? Me and a few friends, we decided we were just going to drive to Toronto that night. So we rented a car and we drove. I got across the border in Windsor, got to see wave high to my hometown of Detroit, but we crossed the border at about 3.45 on Friday morning. We crashed in Windsor spent a few hours there and just kind of slept. And then we got up and finished the rest of the ride into Toronto. So we are here. It is very, very cold, but I want to pass along that story to kind of let you know what I've been up to for the last couple of days. We will be here going to Hamilton tomorrow for the U S versus Canada match. And then for me, it is off to St. Paul and the third game on groundhog day. So I miss you guys. I hope you guys are having fun. And, And Jason, Sam, thanks for taking care of all this in my stead. Uh, but I will hopefully talk to you guys very, very soon. So, Sam, it, it sounds to me like Donald is having a little bit of planes, trains, and automobile kind of stuff happening for him there. <laughs> Some craziness as he tries to make his way to the uh, latest World Cup qualifying match. Yeah, I don't know, Jason, if you've ever done the drive from Detroit to Toronto. The I have not. The border crossing, <laughs> the border crossing there, I have done. I've, I've driven across that that border between Detroit and Windsor. It is kind of a janky exchange. I, folks go 
if you if you want to spend a couple minutes on a good Wikipedia rabbit hole, I believe that this uh, that this border crossing is like privately owned, and there's all there's all kinds of shenanigans around it. But it, it's kind of messy getting over that border, and then it's a pretty boring drive to get from Windsor to Toronto. So uh, good on Donald for uh, for making the trip the the hard way. Interesting border uh, crossing facts that I never knew. <laughs> that it's privately owned. How, yeah, how- I believe uh, for for folks on who either attended University of Michigan or, or just generally from that area, I think it's a it, it's very common for college students to go over that border crossing because they can gamble and I think engage in other vices on the Canadian side of the border that they can't in uh-huh. Michigan. Yes. So it's a very common, uh, as I understand, it's a very common. Windsor is a common destination for college students. I didn't obviously go to school up there, but I have a few friends who did so. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so let's get to uh, the important business at hand, which is uh, we have to start by talking about Duke's victory just a few hours ago against the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, Duke wins the game 74 to 65. That final margin, that nine point final margin does not really tell the story of the game at all. This was a uh, it's a game where Duke burst out to a pretty significant lead and then Louisville came roaring back and it was a really tight contest until the final five minutes when A.J. Griffin took over to some extent, hit a couple threes, and suddenly the Blue Devils had breathing room, and that was all she wrote. So uh, we start, as we always do, Sam, with the headlines. But before you give your headline, we got one, one of our uh, most faithful listeners, David, the K-Man Kerman, wrote to us and gave us a headline. So as we always do now, we we do the uh, view, sorry, not the viewer, the listener headlines first. K-Man's headline was, the Ville gives the crowd a thrill, but Griffin deals the cards a losing hand. That was his headline. Sam, what is yours? I had highlight real fodder as Duke runs away from Louisville. I, I feel like one of my big takeaways from this game is going to be just how much of Duke's victory was keyed by things that end up in the highlight reel, be they big three-point shots, big dunks, big blocks, lots of stuff that I think Duke fans can get excited about. Uh, so for my headline, uh, I somewhat, you know, was similar to what the K-Man had to say about A.J. Griffin. Mine says, card killer. A.J.'s J jumpstarts a sluggish Duke. And uh, and Duke did look really sluggish until uh, A.J. Griffin saved the team. Uh, so let's let's start, though, with what we saw that was good. And, uh, you know, I- I'm going to I'm going to do host privilege. I'm going to start with A.J. Griffin. He was, uh, you know, quite literally in our last game, when we were talking just a few days ago, he'd been benched down the stretch so Joey Baker could play. And then AJ comes out and does this five for five from three. The rest of the team, by the way, one for 15 from three. Ouch. Not good. (laughs) But AJ saved us. And the scary thing about his game is I feel like he can be even better than he showed today. He had a couple of ill-advised shots that I didn't think were the best shots. He missed a couple close ones that I know he can make. Um, the sky is really the limit for this kid. He he added a couple steals. I thought he played good defense. He But he was the player that saved the Blue Devils on a day when it felt like much of the rest of the team was playing very sluggishly. How, how do you feel about AJ's play? You had to have it in the good. Yeah, I, I absolutely had it in the good. The shooting, as we've been talking about, has just continues to be an enormous strength for AJ Griffin and also for this team. I, I think before his emergence here, we were worried that Duke wouldn't be able to shoot itself back into a game if it really got behind. Wendell Moore's shot has improved. He didn't he didn't have a, a great shooting night or great shooting day today, 
but generally speaking, the last few games has been has been better. AJ Griffin has really proven to be the only consistent, you know, big minute shooter for Duke this season. I think Joey Baker is capable in in limited minutes of of providing that spark, but is n- just not going to be on the floor for thirty minutes a, a game the way that AJ Griffin is. So I'm I'm really happy with that, especially as you pointed, Jason. It was down the stretch when Louisville had had clawed back. They had they had tied the game back up and Duke had to figure out how to create separation again. It was a weird, it was a weird game because Duke came out really, really fast at the beginning. I think Duke was up 12 or 14 points really early on Louisville. And it felt like, man, this might just be a Louisville team that just is not totally here today. And they managed to claw back in the second half after things had looked bad for an extended stretch for them. So uh, I, I guess the, the transition away from talking about AJ Griffin for me would be the poise down the stretch for Duke. We talked about that against Clemson. We've talked about it in some of Duke's other recent wins that there is a level of maturity, a surprising level of maturity for this team, given that so much of the production is coming from young guys like Paulo Bancaro, like AJ Griffin, even really like Mark Williams, who we sort of think of as being a veteran, but he's only a second year player. And it was really not until the later part of last year that he became a key rotation piece. So even Mark Williams still feels like he's kind of getting, you know, getting his, his situational reps uh, in college basketball. He's been, he's been outstanding. And I, and I do want to talk about him more at length, but my general comment on the team was the maturity down the stretch and the way that Duke was able to recognize how the atmosphere was kind of getting turned up against them late in the game and just stay calm, make the big shots, make good passes. Don't, don't do anything stupid to uh, to to ruin a game where, as we noted in the preview, Duke very much should have been beating Louisville by by double digits the whole way. Yeah, so uh, I, I definitely you mentioned Mark Williams, and I want to get to him in a minute, but I want to start by playing off of something you said that I think is really important. Um, and, and I titled it. I, I sort of title all my good and bad things. I titled it "Start Me Up and Close It Out" because I thought Duke was outstanding like you said, the first six to eight minutes and outstanding in the final six to eight minutes. The middle 26 or so, not so much, but but they really, they came out strong. They were playing really good. It, it was the defense to me. They played great defense right out of the blocks uh, immediately against Louisville. They, they were allowing Louisville to take bad shots and not giving them good shots. And Duke was executing really well on the offensive end. And then down the stretch, that's it's such an important maturity moment for this team. We saw them struggle and lose games to Miami and Florida State, where Duke had a late lead and where Duke did not execute down the stretch. And, and now we've had back-to-back games against Clemson and Louisville. Not, not teams as good as Miami and Florida State, but you know, classic middle-of-the-pack ACC teams where Duke was in a dogfight in the final five minutes and, and closed it out really nicely. This game was tied at 60. I want to give everyone this. This is really big. This game was tied at 60 with eight and a half minutes left. Tied at 60. Louisville then missed their next 10 shots. And they didn't miss them because they were missing wide open good shots. They missed them because Duke was putting tremendous pressure on Louisville. They're in that stretch of 10 shots. Uh, It was a six-minute stretch where Louisville did not score. Duke had a couple block shots on dunks that were outrageous. Paulo had one and Mark had one where, I mean, look, when a guy's going in for a thunderous dunk, that's automatic, right? Maybe you foul him and Duke managed to get two block shots on those plays. 
like I said, Louisville, it was tied at 60 with eight and a half minutes left. Louisville didn't score again until two and a half minutes left. At that point, Duke was up by 12, and the game was largely over. And th- this is the stretch where A.J. hit those two clutch three-pointers to stretch it out, and then Duke's defense absolutely locked it down and made it so that there was no chance for Louisville to come back. I thought that was truly outstanding, um, the way Duke ended up that game. All right, do Mark Williams now. You mentioned it a little bit. Give me a little more on how great he was in this game. Well, you mentioned the blocks, and Paulo Bancaro had one of those down the stretch in the game where he came from behind to uh, to block one of the Louisville players. Mark Williams, though, I thought had the most impressive block, which was a chase down on a on a three pointer. Where not only did he block the shot, sort of doing the Zion Williamson like full extension, but instead of swatting it out of bounds, he managed to tip it up, land, corral it and then turn it into a into a turnover with Duke going the other way. Um, Mark Williams looked on on defense today like he was much more comfortable. I, I know that Malik Williams still had a, a kind of decent day on offense for Louisville, but it didn't feel like um, it didn't feel like Mark Williams was out of sorts against him. I thought uh, the blocks the blocks were really good. Uh, the way that he was disrupting the the offensive flow inside for Louisville was great. And then on the offensive end, it's it's recognizing those open shots that he had getting, you know, he had a couple of really clean dunks, really, you know, just like making it easy for himself, um, but also being there for putbacks, getting a couple of offensive rebounds. Uh, Mark Williams was able to to control the game. I thought today in a way that he hasn't always done. Now, again, we said Louisville is not the best team in the ACC, but they're but, big and they've got a good, but, you know, exactly. And they have experience. Um, and, and and experience really goes a long way, especially for, you know, when, when it comes to like matchups for Mark Williams, it's guys who are thick that he's going to struggle against and guys who are experienced, who have the footwork, who have the, who know how to, how to take advantage of, of where, uh, Mark Williams is, is more limited, be that laterally, be that taking him out to the perimeter when he's on defense. Um, I thought he reacted to those situations today just a bit better than he normally has this season. And I hope that this is game tape that he's able to study and learn from. Yeah. So here's my Mark Williams stuff. I mentioned a moment ago, the Duke started great and ended great. You want to know who was on the court at the start and the ending of the game, but not as much in the middle of the game, Mark Williams. He was such a difference maker on both ends of the floor. We're used to him being a difference maker on defense, but I thought his offensive game today was, was really advanced. And, and by that, I mean, it, he scored points. He had 14 points. Um, he grabbed offensive rebounds and he kept balls alive. Coach K in the postgame news conference talked about Mark's presence and, and how, um, Duke was trying for much of this game just to survive. Mark got in foul trouble. And Coach K said Duke was trying to survive long enough for Mark to come back in the game and change the game for us. And and with and, and Mark Williams absolutely did. And it wasn't just that he got rebounds. It wasn't just that he scored points. It wasn't just that he blocked shots. It was that he was keeping balls alive that other, other guys ended up grabbing. Um, somehow, Mark Williams plus minus was plus 13 in this game, uh, which led the team. But if you'd asked me, I would have bet big money on him having a plus 20 or maybe even a plus 25. It felt like when Mark Williams was in the game, Duke was significantly better than Louisville. Um, and when he wasn't in the game, Duke was really, really struggling. But look, 14 points, 11 rebounds, two block. By the way, two block shots. How did he only have two block shots? The official score missed like three block shots by Mark Williams. There's a, there were a few more altered shots there that I don't think are being counted. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. On 
On that topic of the rebounding, Jason, we mentioned after the Clemson game that Duke did not have its best offensive rebounding performance. Tonight against Louisville, 46% of offensive rebounding opportunities for Duke. They almost were even with it's, Louisville at amazing. that end of the yeah. floor. That was, was so much the difference here, especially down the stretch when Duke was able to just bottle up. You know, Louisville was getting one shot at their end of the court, which is not, which is, you know, a defensive rebound for Duke, not an offensive rebound, was getting one shot at that end of the court. And then coming down, Duke was getting multiple shots at the basket, be it Mark Williams grabbing those rebounds or someone else. 46% offensive rebounding rate is very tough to beat. Yeah. And, and it plays into this is sort of my almost my last thing I have in the good. Um, and it's, it's field goal attempts. Uh, you guys have been pointing it out lately for me. Everyone knows this is one of my favorite stats. Who has the most field goal attempts? And Duke in this game had 68 to only 59 for Louisville. So Duke had 15. That's 15% more. Duke had 15% more shots than Louisville did. And that's a function of offensive rebounding and turnovers. Um, we had 20 offensive rebounds. Now, some of it was skewed by a couple of possessions where we had like three offensive boards <laughs> on one possession. But the bottom line is that Duke hit the boards harder in this game than we have in a while. And we took care of the ball. We only turned the ball over seven times in this game. That's an excellent number. I've said it again and again and again, Duke, if Duke has like 10, maybe 12 turnovers or less Duke wins basketball games. And, and we did a great job of that in this game. You, you got anything else in the good? I got one other little thing, but you got anything else, Sam? I won't talk about the free throws element for this guy, but Theo Johns, the rest of Theo Johns effort when Mark Williams did have to come out of the game, I thought was pretty serviceable. Not, you know, he wasn't the most amazing player on the floor, but was, I I think, a little bit more productive today than he has been in recent games. So I was very happy with that. I also continue to be uh, impressed with Jeremy Roach's turnaround, uh, given that Trevor Keels still remains out. We're not sure exactly when he's coming back, but Jeremy Roach in 38 minutes tonight continued to be a facilitator for Duke in a way that, you know, he, he was not acting this way three, four weeks ago. So that was really impressive to see from him. Yeah. And, and Roach had some great passes. He also took a couple really gutsy shots. There was a, there was a moment. Um, I want to say it was early in the second half where Duke was struggling to score a little bit. And Roach took a couple really nice shots. I, I, I was impressed with his ability in the lane to finish in this game. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought Jeremy Roach played really well. This was a game where Paulo Bancaro was not his best self. Yeah. And on, on days like that, um, Roach, Griffin, whoever else is going to have to step up. Like, like Paulo is not going to have a game where he only takes seven shots, right? He's going to take double-digit field goal attempts every night. He he needs to have the ball in his hands. He's Duke's most talented player on offense, but sometimes the shots aren't falling, and sometimes the defense is keying in on him more. I understand that, that the coaching staff is pushing him to be the best version of himself, but there are nights when he can't get it going, and as you were pointing out, Jason, guys like Jeremy Roach have to be able to help Paulo get back on track. Yep. All right. Let's get to the bad really quickly because my last good thing was I wanted to mention Jeremy Roach and you already stole it from me. So it's time to get to the bad. Um, and, and I'm going to start and I'm going to start with the shooting. Um, Duke was just eight of 18 on free throws. That's 44%. That's bad. <laughs> if, if that was field goal attempts, that'd be bad on free throws. That is awful. You have to be at least in the upper 60%, maybe low seventies, at least 
in a tight game like this. Duke absolutely allowed this to be a game because of all the missed free throws. It was terrible. Every single player on Duke who went to the line missed at least one free throw. And also, and I mentioned this earlier, aside from A.J. Griffin hitting five of five from three-point range, our three-point shooting was just uh, atrocious. One of 15. And we must have missed at least a half dozen or more wide open threes. I'm talking, you know, guys nowhere close to the Duke player, uncontested threes that would have been backbreakers. There were some of these in the first half when Louisville was reeling that Duke was missing. And you don't notice them as much because Duke was up big. We could have been up. Duke could have easily been up 20 points in this game. And, and you know, it, it was bad. And it wasn't, it wasn't just, by the way, that we were missing shots. I thought we, for the second game in a row, we, we were choosing bad shots to take. I, sp- I spoke a lot about our shot selection last game. I mentioned that Duke took 21 mid-range jumpers against Clemson. And I thought that was way too many. We took 19 mid-range jumpers this game. By the way, we only hit seven of them, seven of 19. That's not a good percentage. We've got to clean up our shot selection because against better teams, it's just not going to work. We're not going to beat better teams if we're taking bad shots like this. And you mentioned Paulo Bancaro. I thought he, in particular, took several awful sh- I mean, shots that the moment he took it, whether it went in or not, I said, that's a bad shot. I, I really don't want to have to say that constantly during games. Paulo, can we, can we fix that? We know that Louisville has not the best defense. So this should like, I understand Duke having a tough time with shot selection against an elite defense. That really shouldn't be the case against Louisville. Um, uh, a few possessions that ended with either Ben Caro or AJ Griffin, or even Joey Baker taking 16 or 17 footers is, is really just not the, it, it, it can't be the goal of the offense, no matter what the, the play call is. Yep. All right. Well, she got in the bad for me, man. The main thing I had written down was also the free throws. I mean, it's just such an easy thing for Duke to clean up. I think maybe the the silver lining is that four of those misses were Theo Johns, and Theo is probably not someone getting minutes in a in a, yeah. in a tight game at the end. So, but even with that, um, that that was the main thing that I had written down. I I thought that actually this was one of Duke's better games, sort of given the the crowd intensity in the second half and the way that they they beat it back. So the other thing I had in the bad that I did want to point out was our bench play. Uh, we've talked, you know, Theo had some moments. And, and look, at, you know, we remember last game, we really got on Theo for not rebounding. And he d- rebounded much better in this game. But um, without Trevor Keels, our bench is really thin. We got next to nothing in this game from Joey Baker and Bates Jones. Um, our bench, you know, Theo, Joey Baker, and Bates Jones only played 29 total minutes, only scored six, eight points. And, uh, you know, we mentioned in the preview, that Louisville is a really deep team. They played 10 guys, double digit minutes. They got a huge game out of L Ellis off the bench. And coach K commented in the post game that Louisville was very physical and they just kept coming at us in waves and they were always fresh and it wore on our guys. Um, and, and by the way, that makes Duke's great play down the stretch, all the more impressive, but I'm really looking forward to Trevor Keels coming back and Duke being able to have a little deeper bench because our bench play right now, is leaving a lot to be desired. Sam, the only other thing I wanted to mention from this game is neither good nor bad, but I did want to point out that the Coach K um, retirement tour continued. Uh, Louisville gave him a personalized Louisville Slugger bat. They gave him a customized bottle of Maker's Mark. And Coach K then said in the post-game press conference that the biggest gift Louisville gave to him was 
having their former head coach, Denny Crum, come to the game and come out and give Coach K a hug and say hi. Now, you know, it's easy for folks to forget Duke and Louisville have not been in the same conference for very long. When Denny Crum left Louisville in 2001, you know, Louisville was nowhere close to being in the ACC. And so you would think that Coach K and Denny Crum probably, you know, didn't face each other all that often. Jason, but, before you get into this, are you about to, to open some unfortunate trauma for yourself? Dude, there you go. Exactly. It's about to happen. I was going to say that it is definitely worth knowing that Coach K and Denny Crum have a close relationship because in 1986, Coach K's first Final Four, Denny Crum won his second national title by beating Duke in the championship game. Um, that was, of course, Purvis Ellison. Uh, and uh, and that Louisville team that defeated uh, Johnny Dawkins, Jay Billis, David Henderson, Mark Allery. I can tell you so much about that team. That was my freshman year at Duke. Um, and I've heard Coach K in the past describe that as his saddest loss in his entire Duke career was he wanted those guys to to get a title. So I, I just thought it was great to see Denny Crum um, and Coach K having that hug at midcourt. Two, two real coaching legends. There are a very, very small number of guys who've won multiple national titles, who, you know, guys who wear two national championship rings. Denny Crum is one of them. Coach K, of course, is one of them as well. And I just love the fact that the Coach K retirement tour includes, you know, some of these legends from the past who are coming out. And by the way, I'm going to quickly note this. Uh, it, it came out today that apparently North Carolina, Duke plays UNC next weekend, a week from today. And uh, North Carolina apparently has put out word that they are not going to be doing any special gifts or any special announcement. They will not be recognizing or honoring Coach K. I think that's atrocious. It's horrible. By the way, some idiot, same, I got to, some idiot on Twitter, some Carolina fan said, good, Duke didn't do anything for Dean or Roy when they retired. Why should we do something for Coach K? What, a, what an idiot. When Dean and Roy retired, no one knew they were retiring. They retired in the summer. They didn't retire. There wasn't a year where we did. Go this guy's so stupid. Typical Carolina. Jason, Jason, so stupid. Do me a favor. Yes. Jason. Yes. Walk it back. We don't need <laughs> to. We don't need to be attacking random Carolina homers on Twitter. But I, the, I will add, though, if you want me to, to jump in here. Go. Duke yeah. did do Duke did do a whole moment of silence for Dean Smith a oh, few yes. years ago when Beautiful. he died. Absolutely. So, yeah, we didn't get to honor Dean Smith and Roy Williams on the court because they retired in the offseason. But Duke did a a remembrance for Dean Smith. So so let me not hear that uh, that, that Duke did nothing for those guys. And you know what? If Roy Williams were to show up to the Duke game in Cameron this season and and the PA announcer decided to to point it out and let Duke fans give him a round of applause, I a thousand percent believe that. Duke fans would stand up and cheer for Roy Williams if given the opportunity. Uh, no, no question about it. I agree with you. Absolutely. And, and my main point in bringing this up is I, I think, and it's not because I love coach K I love the rivalry and I think it would be wrong for UNC not to do something to recognize what coach K brought to the rivalry because it would not be what it is today. The rivalry would not be the greatest rivalry in sports. If coach K hadn't elevated a Duke program that was, in a pretty weak place when UNC was on top with, with Dean Smith. Um, the reason it's the greatest rivalry in college basketball is because of Dean Smith is because of Roy Williams and it's because of coach K. And if they choose not to recognize that, 
That is bad on them. I'm done. I want to come back and, and just point out one thing on Denny Crum that's another sort of connection between them is that Denny Crum was the coach at Louisville going back to their 1980 national championship, which Nolan Smith's father uh, yes. played on. Yes. He, Derek Smith was was one of the stars for Louisville on that 1980 team. So Nolan has known Coach Crum uh, probably, I assume, for his entire life, which is also a, a point of connection. So that part of it was cool. And then on the on the retirement gifts, I wanted to also reiterate, as as you did, Jason, how cool those gifts were that that Louisville gave to Coach K. I thought that was um, pretty inspired stuff. Not that Coach K can't afford his own nice bottle of uh, you know of one of a kind bourbon, but uh, nice <laughs> nice of the Cardinals to provide it, especially in a week when uh, when things are not so not so good at uh, at Louisville at the university and in the athletic department. So um, so appreciate the gesture. Yeah, and I, I will say this for Louisville as a final note on the game: they played hard. Um, you know, it would have been very easy for this team to pack it in and and not not play hard at all, having lost their coach at, in the middle of the week. Uh, but Mike Peggy's, uh, I you know, I thought did a nice job of leading them in this game. Um, good on them to come back the way they did. It would have been super easy to fold when, you know, seven minutes in the game. Look, by the way, I noticed like seven or eight minutes in the game, the announcers were already doing like their their it's a blowout and we're doing stuff not about the game material. I was like, wow, you know, they're already into the the stuff that doesn't matter. They weren't even paying attention to the game for a couple minutes. And then Louisville fought back into it. So good on Louisville. I hope they continue to play hard. And, um, you know, it, it, it was it, I'm glad that it was a real Louisville team, not a team that had completely checked out that, that faced the Blue Devils today. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, no rest for the weary. Duke has a really good Notre Dame team coming up on Monday, a preview of the Fighting Irish who are fighting hard this season coming up after the break. Back from the break, and it's time to look ahead. On Monday, the Blue Devils have a big Monday matchup against Notre Dame. Uh, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are 14-6, and six, and they are 7-2 and two in the ACC. This is one of the best teams in the conference. They are definitely a contender for the top of the ACC. Other than a bad... I'm going to start off by talking about, by the way, um, uh, you know what their season's been like so far in terms of wins and losses. Other than a bad loss at Boston College, and look, let, let's, let's be clear, um, any road game in the ACC is, is a tough game, even with the conference being down. Anytime you get an, an ACC road win, it's a good win. And they, Notre Dame went to Boston College and they lost. You know, that's... It's a bad loss. I'll be reporting, by the way, pretty <laughs> soon in, in two weeks from now on exactly how tough it is to win at Boston College. So there you go, man. So we'll in be getting yeah. we'll be getting yeah, that's right. We'll be getting a, a real report from that. And I have never been to Conte Forum. So this will be uh, this will be exciting for me. But uh, but other than that bad loss at BC, Notre Dame doesn't have anything awful on their resume. They've got losses to teams like St. Mary's and Illinois. There's there's nothing wrong with those losses. But you do need to have some good things on your resume every now and then. And there's not a lot of impressive stuff on the Notre Dame resume. They, they got a great win against Kentucky at home. Again, you know, in Notre Dame, they won by four points. They got a decent win over UNC at home. You know, not on the road, but uh, again, a decent win over UNC. But aside from those two wins, the only other top 100 victory they have is a game where they beat Clemson. And again, it was at Notre Dame. They're, they're really good at home, but uh, they, they, 
you know, they don't have anything else on their resume that screams, hey, we are a legit NCAA tournament contender. But like I said, 14 and six, seven and two in the ACC, clearly one of the contenders in the conference. And, you know, folks, you may recall in the preseason, I mentioned that I thought Notre Dame would be a contender. I picked them. They were sort of, you know, most folks thought they would be middle of the pack. I said, I expected Notre Dame to be one of the top four teams in the league. So far, I am absolutely right about that. And they've got a big week coming up. They've got Duke at home on Monday, and then they've got a game at Miami on Wednesday. Those are the top. Those are the only three teams in the conference, Duke, Notre Dame, Miami. Those are the three teams with only two conference losses. This is a real week for Notre Dame to perhaps announce themselves as a legit contender. All right, Sam, talk to me about Notre Dame's players. Their, their schedule is interesting, as, as you pointed out, because they do have that win against Kentucky. Duke also has a win against Kentucky. And, uh, and I wonder to what degree, you know, these teams, as they're, as they're studying the tape or looking at, at specifically the tape from those respective games, because I think they're, they're really instructive. Going back to the Boston College game, you mentioned that they lost. One of the things, and I know, Jason, you'll talk about this in, in more detail when we do the full advanced stats, Notre Dame is a very bad offensive reboundings team. And one of the keys here, I think, for Duke is uh, is, the, is Duke's ability to pull down offensive rebounds. Duke showed it, of course, against Louisville. We mentioned 45% uh, offensive rebounding rate. I think that is going to be the key for Duke. So looking at the, at the personnel, the guy that you need to bottle up uh, on, on the rebounding end is Nate Lashevsky. He's in his fourth year. For Notre Dame, he's a 6'10 guy. He can rebound, but he can also shoot from outside. My goodness, he is one of the very best three-point shooters in the whole country at 6'10. So this is going to be the, the matchup challenge for Duke. I am curious about you know how much Paulo Bancaro is going to be able to stick with Nate Lashevsky. Uh, the interesting thing for Notre Dame in terms of matching, so they they've got They've got that guy who is is tough to guard because he's so good from the perimeter while being so big. They don't have a very deep roster. They're sort of similar to Duke in that it's really only like seven, maybe eight guys that are going to play. But it's it's really only seven that are that are getting real yeah, minutes seven. against Duke. They're only going to play seven. I'm telling you, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> and and so Nate Lashevsky is one of those guys. They've got a. Um, They've got a freshman in Blake Wesley who is from South Bend, who has been awesome for them so far this season. He was a four-star recruit, but not, not like a four-star recruit who was a borderline five-star. He was like a, you know, sort of lower level four-star recruit, only six, five, but is tearing it up for them this year. The other name that Duke fans will definitely recognize is Prentice Tubb uh, comes in the, the, in the long tradition of Notre Dame players who feel like they've been playing at the school for a thousand years. I think this is Prentice Hub's actual fifth season, although I'm pretty sure he he overlaps with the Bonzi Colson and Luke Aaron Gody eras, uh, respectively. <laughs> so Prentice Hub is the is the point guard. Um, he's been he's been at Notre Dame for a long time. He's very experienced. This is a guy that Duke is going to need to you know the 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 execution on defense starts with stopping Prentice Tubb from getting the ball to Nate Lashevsky. And so um, I, I can't wait to see Duke get out, maybe generate a few more turnovers in this game. We said that against Louisville, it was not, you know, it was not a sloppy game, but it was not a game where Duke was able to generate a ton of turnovers. There were some good blocks, but I want to see more steals. I want to see Duke be a little bit more aggressive against the Notre Dame backcourt. And as we said, because Notre Dame doesn't have a particularly deep bench, 
Another thing that Duke can do is get them into foul trouble. So whether that's Leshevsky, whether that's some of the other guys for Notre Dame, they're an experienced group, but I think Duke can get them in foul trouble and, uh, and, and make this a game where Duke, hopefully, I, I think that Blue Devils are favored by four or five, six points, according to the metrics. I think Duke is actually uh, in a good position to win by a little bit more than that if they can catch Notre Dame a little bit off guard and, and get them into foul trouble. So I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Dane Goodwin of Notre Dame, who's hitting almost 50% of his threes. Yeah, he, I, I, I have him written down. I just needed, yeah. to, I needed to take a breath. <laughs> yeah, uh, so here are the advanced, uh, the advanced stats, the advanced metrics on, on Louisville, and there's some really interesting things here. They are number 65 in Ken Palm, and that's mostly because of their offense. They're the 38th best offense in the country. They're only 106th on defense. Let's start with that offense. This is an excellent shooting team that takes care of the ball. Top 30 in the country in three-point field goal percentage. We already mentioned they have several guys who hit well over 40% of their threes. Um, They are also top 30 in the country in turnover percentage. Um, You can get steals on them a little bit, but they are not going to throw the ball away themselves. They're not going to commit offensive fouls. They're not going to toss the ball out of bounds. They're not going to dribble it off their foot. This is a team that is great at holding on to the ball. And... The only thing on offense, really, that they don't do well, like you mentioned, Sam, is offensive rebounding. Get ready for the number. 336th in the country in offensive rebounds. They just don't bother to go after offensive rebounds very much at all. Well, it's a lot of three-point shooting, moving the ball around the perimeter, and then once the ball goes inside, it's probably because it's a three-point shot, and they're not close enough to it to go pick it back up. Yeah, exactly. So on the defensive side of the ball, they are just really fundamentally strong. They, uh, by the way, uh, you, you mentioned that they've, they've got that one freshman. But other than that, this is all juniors and seniors. This is a very, very experienced Notre Dame team. And, and you would expect them to be very fundamentally strong. They're one of the top 30 defensive rebounding teams in the country. It's this crazy dichotomy where they're one of the bottom like 15 or 20 offensive rebounding teams, but one of the top 30 defensive rebounding teams. So they are, a, you know, they are a club that when they, bother to focus on something they do really well at it they they you know as i as i mentioned they do a nice job of defending the three-point line you know they're fundamentally strong on that um they aren't shot blockers but they they do uh, you know a decent job of forcing turnovers they get some steals and 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 then the last thing i want to mention about them stylistically they play really slowly now not virginia slow but not far off from that this is a team that takes its time on offense and then makes you work on defense. And then you mentioned that they're not very deep. I wanted to put that in actual numbers. This team, they are 331st in the country. Again, they're like 350 teams. They are 331st in the country at bench minutes. They just don't play their bench very much at all. So yeah, if Duke can get them in a little bit of trouble, if Duke can speed it up a little bit, maybe wear them out a little bit, those will be big keys for Duke in this game. And if we are able to get any offensive rebounds, you know, again, that's something that Notre Dame focuses on is defensive rebounding. If Duke gets offensive rebounds, it will definitely frustrate this Notre Dame ball club. Yeah, I I think that stylistically, this is a great matchup for Duke because the things that Notre Dame does well are things that Duke defends well. So I am that, that's why I said that I, I know that by the pure metrics, Duke is a five point favorite. I know the game is in South Bend. I assume that the Blue Devils didn't fly back to North Carolina to then just fly right back to to South Bend. I assume they're just staying in the area this weekend. Like they finished the game at Louisville today. Maybe they stay over in Louisville tonight, but maybe they 
hop on the bus and ride up to South Bend. I think it's like close enough that they wouldn't even want to get on a plane from there. So I assume they stay in South Bend this weekend and are able to not fully unwind because they are on the road, but at least it, it cuts down on some of the, the tough turnaround for it being, you know, a, a 50 hour different, the 50 hour wait from the end of the Louisville game until the start of the Notre Dame game. But I think this is one where Duke can capitalize on, on its stylistic differences with Notre Dame to just be, because Duke is a better version of, of some of the things that Notre Dame does well, playing good defense on the perimeter, et cetera. Hey, before we go, Sam, we have to do player of the week. Uh, who do you have? Who's your pick as the top player uh, for the Blue Devils against Clemson and Louisville? So the Clemson game was a was a weird one for Duke. I don't know that. The, I, I think to, it was Paulo Bancaro, I guess, down the stretch because he made big plays for Duke. But all in all, the Clemson game was kind of sloppy. I am giving my player of the week nod this week to Mark Williams, who had two double doubles on the week, 24 points, 20 rebounds and five blocks across two games. And it's I don't know that Mark Williams um, was like so spectacular that this is a this is a runaway award. But between him having two double doubles looking really great on defense against Louisville, on top of that, he also got a nod for the National Defensive Player of the Year uh, watch list, of which I think there are like 20 guys on the, it's not the finalist list, it's like the, the semifinal list. And Mark Williams was the only guy in the ACC to get that nod. So with, that hopefully means that Mark Williams is headed for all ACC first team defense, could be picked for you know National Defensive Player of the Year or, or be a finalist for that award, which would be an awesome development for him. So proud of his effort uh, this week and proud of his getting uh, national recognition. Well, I'm not going to make folks linger too long on this uh, podcast. I am with you. I agree. I, I picked Mark Williams as the player of the week. Two double doubles is is really impressive. And I actually think that uh, the blocks and the difference he makes on defense is is understated by his blocks. He's absolutely one of the best defenders in the country. And I'm seeing more and more evolution of his offense in both these games. Um, when the When the opposing team sort of left him wide open at the free throw line, Mark had no problem taking a little 15 footer. Um, you know, I don't know that I want him taking three, four of those a game, but he's knocked down two of them. He knocked down, you know, one against Clemson and one today against Louisville. If that pulls the opposing defense out toward him a little bit more, it makes a big difference for Duke because when he's out there, it allows Paulo to get more room in the post. And I just think Mark Williams is developing more and more offensively. I hope we get to talk to Mark Williams soon. One thing that I'm curious about is if the addition of Emil Jefferson to the coaching staff has been in particular a help to him. Not that they have exactly the same game. Mark Williams is much more athletic than Emil Jefferson was. He can he can jump higher. He's got much bigger reach. But in terms of the expectations on offense, I am sure that Emil Jefferson is showing Mark Williams all kinds of little tricks on how to be effective without the ball. I love that. Yeah, you put Emil's smarts and, uh, you know, and his ability to, to recognize the way the geometry of the game and the way the game is being played, you put that into Mark Williams's body with, you know, Mark's athletic gifts. Wow. That'd be a, a heck of a player. So that's going to do it for us here on episode 384, 384. Is that it? Was that the number? I forget. 384. It's a huge number. I can't even keep track anymore of the Duke basketball report podcast. 384 of these in the book. We will be back at you right after the uh, Notre Dame game on Monday. We, of course, are, will be looking forward and looking ahead a little bit to the UNC game. But before that, Duke has a really important matchup against 
ACC contender, seven and two Notre Dame for Sam Klein. I am Jason Evans for Donald Wine, who is in Canada cheering on Team USA in the World Cup qualifying. That's it. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.